I think that was my problem. I think you're right. Our bandwidth, because I do it upstairs and the, the router is downstairs, sometimes it's a bit weak, yeah. but we've got BT yeah. sorting it out. It's either that or Chris Ross has put a bloody hex on it. <laughs> it could be a bit of both. I think I've always had concerns about Chris Ross, I have to say, and that's just, that's <laughs> cemented my views on the man. Chris Ross, you're dead to me. Anyway, shall we ask that question that I think we asked about five times? Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> 19, you better not get this one wrong. 1955, Presswick, you started, um, and then we were talking about animosity uh, between Ayr and Presswick, and then I was going to ask you, you've never, and there's a lot of the guys that have jumped ship and crossed the divide, but you never, you never did that, no. No, no, I didn't. Do you know, I, and I, I was probably lucky because when I, I got to the time where I think people had been jumping ship because Air were in the Western Union, Presswick were in the Glasgow League, and at, at that time there was, you know, the Western Union was a closed league and there was, yeah. a, there was a, a real gulfing standard between the two. So some of the guys who were just older than me ended up going to Air for a little while. Uh, I, I was in the fortunate position that when I got to 17, 18, that Presswick were then playing in the counties as Ayrshire. Uh, so I, I, I didn't ever really have the need. And obviously, there's been a few have, have gone back and forward in the interim for various different reasons, but I wasn't one of them, I'm pleased to say. Oh, so when did you guys get into the counties? Yeah, so we, we went into the counties. I was, I was very young, so I think it was 84. Right, uh, okay. So we, we'd been a Glasgow League club, uh, and, and hence a little bit of the animosity between Presswick and Air, because they were in the Western Union, which was which was clearly the, the superior league at the time and it was a closed league. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think Presswick had won the Glasgow and District League something like eight out of the last 10 years and, and had consistently been trying to get into the Western Union, but were always getting knocked back. Uh, so the, the opportunity came to join the, the, the Scottish counties, which is principally a kind of central belt and northeast league. So it was going to mean a lot of travel, but it, it was the right progression for the club at the time. So I think ourselves and Strathmore had been had been invited to join the counties, which at that time was an 18 league, uh, just to kind of beef it up a little bit. And I think bizarrely as well, and, and to quote Michael Kane, not a lot of people know this, I think Grange were the other club who were potentially going to join the counties that year. Because wow. we, we were in East League Division 2 at the time. That's uh, right. And, uh, and they wanted to join the counties, but the counties, for some reason, selected us in Strathmore. Uh, so it could, could have been a very different... It could have been, com yeah, uh, completely different. Yeah. So in the county side, so there was no teams in Edinburgh because they would have played in the East Riding League as it was back then, and there was promotion, wasn't there? Yeah. That was always yes. a promotion league. Well, that's right. So the East League was a, was a promotion and relegation league. The West was a closed league with the Western Union and the Glasgow League below. And then the Scottish Counties was a closed league, which kind of sat above all the, you know, the Aberdeenshire grades and the Strathmore Union and leagues like that. And there must have been some chat at the time about you trying to get in and breaking into the union. And, and did they give you some sort of, you know, willingness to... I mean, did they ever entertain the possibility of it becoming you know, a, a, a promotion and relegation league, or were you just hitting your head against a brick wall? Yeah, I think that, I, I, I mean, I was only a youngster at the time, but I seem to remember the hierarchy being very, very frustrated because it seemed to be that kind of closed shop feeling. Yeah. I think the 10 leagues, the 10 clubs in the union had been there for, I think, almost 100 years. So you could you could see you were battling tradition a little bit. And yeah. they, 
you know, they all played on nice grounds that they owned. You know, the, the Prestwick ground was a kind of council pitch as well. So there was there was the feeling that it just didn't quite cut the mustard, if you like. So I think that the, the reserve union, as it was, were very strongly protected by by those in power. So that was that was how it was. So listen, I want to take you back. Cricket. How the hell did you get into cricket then? It, just by just by luck, to be honest. I I mean, I'm fortunate. You know, Presswick, it's a nice little town, and and if you know the town, that all the sporting facilities are in this big park right in the middle of the mm -hmm. town. So you would you would go and you would try and play a bit of tennis, bit of golf, bit of football, and I just wandered. I was just wandering through the the park with my mates one night, and and, and bizarrely the. The young juniors used to train on kind of this side of the of the wall, just outside the ground. So it was actually yep. just on a public space, and we're walking past. And this guy, I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, the guy came up and says, "Do you want to, you know, do you want to have a, do you want to have a shot?" And I went, "Yeah, okay." I was seven, seven, eight years old, something like that. Yeah. And and that was it. So I went one night, and he says, "Do you want to come back on Friday?" And I came back. I went back on the Friday, and then, as you know, the game gets its claws into you, and that, oh, and that was me because we we had no. There was no real family history. My my granddad had played a bit of cricket, but but my dad didn't play any cricket. So there was no there was no family connection to the sport. So I guess in, in a town like Presswick, you get you get lucky with that sometimes, where you you just collide against a lot of sports and one of them sticks. So that that was it really. And who growing up? I mean, I you're what fifty, fifty three? Yeah, yeah, fifty three, fifty four. Um, Hags. So you and Hags would have. We played together at junior setup. Yeah, we did. So the the Haggle brothers were a little bit older than me. Uh, I, but I, I played with there was a, a lad called Graham Dunwoody who who became a very successful lawyer and professor in law at Harvard. I think uh, was, was kind of the other guy who played West District cricket with me. But yeah, it was really the Haggles and Gavin Richmond, and there was a whole there was a whole crop of guys who who all came through at the one time. And I, I, again, I'm sure. This will resonate with you and, and others who who played in teams where you you get a group of young guys all coming through at the same time and just and just ending up as a as the core of a team over ten yeah. or fifteen years, which which is really what happened at Presswick. Uh, you know the 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 Haggos and Gavin Richmond and Gordon Webster and guys like that. All we were all breaking into the first team, kind of around about similar times. So that would have been similar in time frames as far as what was happening at West because we didn't win anything until 88, 89 and then we went 90, 91, 92 and of course you won the counties 90 yeah. and, and 91. So I guess the, the, there's analogies there between what yeah. we had done at West of Scotland and, and what you guys were doing down at Prestwick. Yeah. Um, yeah, as far as the coaching and the mentoring is concerned, who was it that just sort of lit a fire for so, you? So yeah, I mean the the, the club were, were very fortunate. We had we had some very proactive people around our junior section at the time. So Henry Thau, who'd been one of the founding fathers of the club, was, was yep. very involved and he, he used to run kids to games in the back of his glazier van and stuff. It was like he, he owned this glazing company and air stuff <laughs> that you would get the deal for now, but <laughs> like six kids in the back of a glazier's van to Drumley House to play. Yeah, what, what are you doing with these six children in the back of your van? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so yeah, so Hen Henry Thau was, was the, the first sort of junior convener, but I think Douglas Haggle, who was David's father, was the yep. real driving force when, when I was a kid and, and really drove the, the junior section. And, you know, it was the first time we, we, we trained all through the winter. Uh, you know, training nights were really well structured and really well run. 
and and you had a group of kids who who all loved the game. There was a few talented guys around, so it, it just all kind of grew from there. And then I, th I think probably the one of the defining factors was around the late seventies when I was still very young. Uh, we we started getting professionals at Presswick. So there was a there was a West Indian guy called Richard Suttle who. As you can imagine, I'd, I'd never seen a black person before. You know, in 1977 in Presswick, it just didn't happen. But there's this West Indian who, who loved the game. He wasn't a great player, but he was a great coach. Yeah. And he really, really inspired uh, lots of kids to, you know, to take up cricket. And then the year after that, we got Grant Stanley over who, from Australia, who, who was the club yeah. coach for 11 years. Yeah. And he, he was a kind of lo local legend, you know, big big tall dark Australian who you know who, who was a pretty fierce competitor on the field but also a really good coach and and he just made you want to play the game so and and at that time as well at Presswick the, the pro had to do the ground so Grant being a, a typical Australian was a little bit lazy but he was also quite smart so he used to what he used to do was he would get all the kids to come down in the morning and say right we'll all do the work on the ground and then you can net for as long as you want, you know, during the day and I'll, I'll stay around and help out kind of thing. So we all used to have to work for about an hour and a half in the morning in the ground and then you just train for the rest of the day. Fantastic. You know, you take your lunch down and you just really, for the whole of the summer holidays, you'd be playing for cricket for five, six hours a day. Brilliant, brilliant. So when I started back in the day, it was very much, I'd rather just pick up a bat than a ball, but I guess you were different. Was the ball the first thing that you went to or, or did you? Yeah, a little bit of both. I think because I was, because I, I was a right-handed batter and some would have said I should probably have been left-handed, but I was, I was a right-handed batter, but I was a left-arm bowler. So that, that kind of people were always sort of interested in that. And, yeah. and look, I bowled, I bowled left arm over so uh, at the start because the, the, the guys who I kind of watched on telly at that time were guys like John Lever and there was a guy, uh, Gary Gilmer from Australia. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, left, left arm over bowlers around at the time in the kind of late 70s. Uh, so, so I just ran in and bowled as quick as I could left-handed. Uh -huh. uh, and then f fortunately for me, uh, between Douglas Hagel and, and our third 11 captain at Prescott who said to me, he says, look, Andy, do you know, left-arm spinners are, are, are worth their weight in gold. Do you, you know, have you ever thought about bowling that? So I, I ran in, and instead of bowling left-arm over seam, I started bowling Chinaman. Uh, out, <laughs> out the back out of the hand. Out the, out the back of my hand. And, right. and the guy went, nah, nah. He says, you don't want to be doing that. If you're left-handed, you don't want to be turning the ball into the right hand. Or why would you waste that? <laughs> so so from, from, from 12 years old, I was playing in our kind of midweek third eleven at the time. We played against the, like the local RAF and Navy bases and air traffic yep. controllers and stuff, and kind of midweek cricket as it was then. So I, I was getting a chance at twelve years old to play adult cricket, which I which I think you know when I when I look back now and obviously when I put my coaching hat on, those experiences that I got when I was very young, uh, you know, were, were were pretty, you know, sort of accelerated my development a bit. When you're used to playing cricket with adults yeah. and you're 12, yeah. 13, 14, and I'm sure this will resonate with you. You have to savvy up pretty quick. So, uh, yep. so from that point of view, I always kind of felt ahead of the game a little bit that way. So, so that that was a real positive for me. Just um, lucky with the the people who who were around who were happy to invest in developing young people, which I think I think was one of the great things about press. It was if you were, you know, if you were young and you had a bit of talent, they would give you a chance. Mm -hmm. But there was a fair few of you with the left-handers. I mean, you had Craig McKnight at at Pollock. Yeah. Um, who'd have been maybe a couple of years younger than you, Keith Sheridan as well, yeah, left yeah. arm. I mean, there was a lot of good lefties. Yeah, there, there, there about was the West at that time. 
Yeah, I mean, every team had one. And even when you went over to the, over to the East, you know, guys like Willie Morton, who, who ended up playing county cricket, and yep. Dallas Morton, who was a bit older, played at Aberdeenshire, who also I mean, went on and played county cricket. So, yeah, every, every team had a, had a, a decent left armour. I and mean, Craig, uh, Craig and Keith were through, through the youth teams, if you like. It was kind of competing against them. And then there was, there was a lot of off-spinners around as well, Jimmy Govan and, and, and other people. So there was a lot of spin bowlers around then. So, but there, there were a lot of left armours. Uh, so, yeah, but it was, it was just it was a good time to be playing. So 1990, because I'd, I'd gone up, I'd left West in 89 and then gone up to Aberdeenshire to play, I think it was 1991, and I think I played 92, I can't quite remember. Um, so I had my first taste of the county's stuff, and it was, it was slightly different, although it was still a time game, it was slightly different in that you seemed in the counties that you could bat for a lot longer than you possibly yeah. could. And yeah, I think yeah. it was, was it purely time-based? Was it three it was, hours it you was, could bat? Yeah, it was time-based, but it was linked to the number of overs per hour. So it, it was time-based, but it was clearly moving towards a kind of overs. So, so I think they played, I think it was 100, it was either 99 or 100 over match effectively. So it was five and a half hours of cricket, whatever, whatever yeah. that was, uh, bowling at 18 overs an hour. So yeah, it'd be 90, yeah, 99, uh, if I've got my maths right, something like that. So, uh -huh, uh -huh. It was about 99 overs, but you could bat, I think, 60, 60 Yeah, it was really strange. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was weird. You could bat for like three and a half hours as, as the first team uh, and then give the other team effectively two hours to get it, uh, uh -huh. which, which, was a bit weird, which was a bit weird and wonderful. So, uh, but that, that changed quite quickly. I mean, they, they held on to time cricket for a few years, but yeah, it, it quickly disappeared as people realised it was a very outdated system. So I guess in 88, would you have played in the team that won the, the, the Challenge Cup, the County's Challenge Cup in 88? Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing yeah. that that's, was that the first piece of silverware yeah. that would have won? So, so that, what, that was, we beat, I think, I can't remember, it was Perth or Aberdeenshire that we, we, we beat in that final, maybe Aberdeenshire actually, because uh, we played in two in a row. So that, that was the first trophy that, that we'd won. Uh, Actually, up until then, the, the, the Ayrshire Cup was the prize trophy when you were playing against the air was always the, the big trophy of the year. And, so. and some would still say that that is the only trophy that you want to win. Potentially, yeah. You would have members of our club who say if that's the only game we win in a year, we'll be quite happy. Uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. a slightly myopic view. So, yeah, so we won, we won that in 88. And then I think 90 was, was a real sort of breakthrough year. We won the Wesley, Wesley Cup. We won the Wesley Cup. I think we, we'd beaten the team that you just left, I think. Uh, so I think we beat West in the final of that. Trevor, right. Trevor Bullis was a pro, I think. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, that, that was 1990. We won the Wesley Cup when we won the counties for the first year. We'd had uh, we had a West Indian pro who'd previously played at air, a guy called Noel Guichard. Oh yeah, he was, yeah, remember he was him. Just a, an amazingly talented guy. He was a spin bowler as well, and and, and was a big help to me. Uh, he was a gun fielder and a great batter. He was just a genuine all-round West Indian package, if you like. And so, so we had him for two years, and we won we won the counties ninety and ninety one, which was uh, which was great for us. Because there were some decent sides. I mean, we had quite a good side. I mean, a really talented side. We had David David Johnston, Mike Smith. We had Roddy Smith. Um, I think we had Andy B playing for us. Uh, so we had a really good quality side, but it was just that ingredient that they just didn't know how to win on a regular basis. Uh, and yeah. that was something that they were just lacking on those two years. Was there anything, because you'd come from you know, a side where 
they hadn't been that successful. Do you put, I, was there anything that you learnt um, that allowed you to, to play in a, in a team that was, was, was able to win championships? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think so, because it, it, it was interesting, because Aberdeenshire at that time, there, there, were, there, was, there was a lot of good players playing in the kit. There was a lot of good amateur cricketers around at that time. Yeah. I, think, I think when you look back, then that kind of period in the early, mid-90s, it was incredibly strong club cricket around at that time because there was still a lot of good pros and there was a lot of good mm. amateurs around. So, uh, so I, th I think cricket was very strong then. I think what we'd done was we'd learned to win. Mm -hmm. you know, I, when I played cricket, uh, because we'd played in the Glasgow League and all the way up through my teen years, we played in teams that expected to win games of cricket and, and we had some very competitive people. We had a guy called Tommy Halpin who wasn't the best cricketer in the world, but he'd been a pro footballer. And he, right, he, was, yeah. he, was my, he was my first club captain, so he played right back for Hamilton Ackies for years. Uh, so, so we were he, talking football? Yeah. Hamilton yeah, so, Ackies? Ham, well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, right back for Hamilton Ackies in the 60s. I'm not sure that's a world-class standard, but yeah, so he, apologies for my ringtone. No, you're fine. Yeah, so uh, so Tommy and, and he was a winner, and he just brought that kind of footballer's mentality. And, and you yep. obviously Grant Stanley, who was the Australian pro. So we'd learned to win, and, and so we went into this uh, Scottish Counties, which, if I'm being honest, was kind of I think the, the competition had gone quite stale and was an eight-team competition, and the, I think the cricket was a little bit soft. Mm -hmm. So you had this kind of uh, I suppose these kind of uh, upstarts coming from the west of Scotland to. Who, who, where cricket, I think, notoriously is played quite hard, uh, you know. So, so we went into a league, and we we were a team who were greater than the sum of our equal parts, effectively, and and had got used to winning. So, I think, and I think that's probably served as well as a club. It's really been that kind of striving to striving to compete against some of the bigger guns. That little bit of an edge, bit of a chip on your shoulder. So, so yeah. I, th I think that's that's probably the sort of DNA of the club a little bit, and. Going into the counties where you had a lot of talented players, but they just expected to rock up and play a nice game yeah. of cricket. And I, and, I, and I think when we got stuck into them, they didn't really enjoy that very much. So mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a more pleasant experience for us than it was for them. Yeah. You used the word expectation on two occasions there. And I think that is once you get over that, over the, the line of winning, you then, there is an expectation. And I think that expectation can win you games that previously you probably yeah. weren't going to be able to win. But I also think that it takes somebody of a very strong leader to be able to instill that expectation yeah. within your club. I mean, you obviously had it there in Tommy Halpin. I think we had it in um, with, with Colin Mayer, who came from a rugby background, but a high-level, high-quality rugby yeah. background. Uh, and he was very much one of backing everybody to the hilt um, and one of the phrases he used to to uh, to say was that if they're going to um, live by the sword, they're going to die by the sword. So I mean, he was you know for a guy who was ended up being the headmaster at Glasgow High School, you know he he wasn't uh, afraid to dip the shoulder a few times and and just you know you know yeah. <laughs> when it meant it. No, that, absolutely, and it's that. I mean, you find I suppose you can read all the leadership books now, and they talk about leadership and culture, don't they? But that I suppose that was my abiding memory that we had a real, we had a real, real strong leadership. We had senior players who were fierce competitors, and as you say, yeah. 
those guys, when they want to win really badly, they'll take it right to the edge, sometimes beyond the edge, but they will take it right to the edge. Yeah. Uh, and I think that kind of characterized the type of cricket we played. But yeah, so, so I, I remember as a youngster, and I remember winning games, and I'm thinking, how on earth did we win that game? And the reality is we won the game because we never, we never ever believed we were really going to lose it. And we mm -hmm. never believed mm -hmm. we were going to lose a game of cricket right up until the point where you lost it. You know, some of the games where... Uh, you know, you take the last five, six wickets of a team for 20, 30 runs, you know, chasing 120, 130 yeah. back in those yeah. days. It's amazing how often it happens when you just hang in there. And if you just stay in, the, and that was one of, you know, Tommy Alpin and Grant Stanson, just stay in the game, just find mm -hmm. a way. Mm -hmm. Find a way, hang in there. Things aren't great at the moment, but all we need is a wicket or all we need is this. And so, so it, it was that type of, it was those type of men that you, you grew up round about that, that probably created a culture that then you grew into and mm -hmm. one that you then hope that you, you pass on, I suppose, down through the generations. Sounds a bit old man and cheesy, but that, that's what you create at clubs, isn't it? That kind of culture that will yep. perpetuate. It, it's that thing about in cricket that it can change just like that. I mean, you could be absolutely coasting as a batting side and then suddenly you lose two wickets and you get two new batsmen in and it's a completely different game. And then suddenly the dominoes can start going and then from a, a, from a, a, a position where you were never going to lose, you're thinking, shit, we're never going to win this now. Yeah, it's one of the beauties of the game, isn't it? That the, the game turns on a sixpence, doesn't it? Like... And there's not many other sports that are like that that, that yeah. can just that can just flip like that. So so yeah, one of one of the beauties of our sport. So in the best teams that you played with at Prestwick, give me the name of the person that you would uh, ask to bat for your life. Oh jeez, now you're asking. Uh, hey, yeah. If you, if, uh, well, I'll take the pro. I'll take the pros out because yep. uh, that, that that probably probably wouldn't be fair. Uh, yeah, it would, it would be it would be a David Haggle probably someone like that who who yeah. just uh, who who when you really needed I mean he he captained the side for seven or eight years and and was an, was an outstanding leader and and you just knew that when push came to shove he was going to be around so mm -hmm. uh, guys like him and also we had an opening batter a guy called Gavin Richmond uh, who who was who was also very talented but was, was actually. A, are really un understated in terms of his ability. Uh, so, scary Gav. Yeah, scary Who's Gav. Yeah. Yeah. You never <laughs> want to meet. I do remember the most bizarre sight I've ever seen was Gav. I think this must have been mid nineties. No, couldn't have been mid nineties. Must have been late eighties, early nineties. He opened the batting with Terry Rakionzer for the West District, and Terry Rakionzer. <laughs> I'm sure had his cap on, and Gav had a pink Mohican. Uh, so so yeah, that that was the most bizarre sight I've seen. That was a canvas doing for the West District. Oh, uh, that's magnificent! Astonishing sight. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, and then, other than yourself, um, a bowler who, if you needed one more wicket, who would who would that be from from the teams yeah, you played with? Yeah, our 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 go-to guy at Prestwick was Alan Appleby, oh. uh, who who was just a. A club legend, just horrible medium pacer who could oh. hit, hit a sixpence all day. Uh -huh. and just, uh, yeah, just an, an astonishing bowler. And I, I, I'd be interested to, to hear your comments. But I know some of the most talented batters we played against just hated facing him because oh. he looked so innocuous, but you just couldn't get him away because he just, 
he just nagged that length all day. He was worse than guilt because, and I said this in a couple of the podcasts, at least guilt used to drift the ball in so you could sort of work him away off your pads and maybe you might be able to belt him straight or over mid-wicket. But he just, he was always on there and you couldn't, you could, we always thought to play Gilks, what you needed to do was treat him like a spinner. And I guess that's what you should have done with Appleby. But the problem was that he was always taking the ball away. So you were always concerned that if you came out, then, you know, as soon as you missed it, then Ags would have the stumps off and that you'd be back in the pavilion. Yeah, and he, he, he was complimented by, you know, when, when David Hago then sort of matured into the keeper, the, the wonderful keeper that he was, that, you know, standing up to the stumps, like, you know, you, you, you know, the batter's options were so limited with, with that. So, yeah, he, he, he was an outstanding, uh, you know, club cricketer who I, I always remember one day because he, uh, because, because he hit a line in length from the very start. And I, I was a kind of notoriously slow starter, especially in cold we'll, days. Like, you'll come to that. All oh, right. I, I, I used to struggle to get into my rhythm, so I used to say to him, "I said, so apps, we standing at practice. So apps, how, you know, how how do you get into such a rhythm?" He goes, yeah. "What rhythm?" Because that, that was he what he did. Didn't understand as a concept. He says, "I just do what I do." He says, "I just run in and I do what I do. I don't have a rhythm. I just do it." There's a couple of stories I've got with, with Presswick. One was we played a Scottish Cup game. You probably were playing. Um, this would have been maybe. Uh, late 90s, maybe early 2000s. Um, Corey Richards was there, so it must have been sort of 2000s. And I remember it took me about 20 overs to get off the mark in a Scottish Cup game. <laughs> Just Appleby at one end, and then I can't remember probably you at the other end. <laughs> it was absolutely horrendous. And the other one I remember was when I was at Aberdeenshire, we'd gone down a tour to Liverpool, and on the way back up, we came to play you on the Saturday. So we rocked up, and of course everybody was uh, was struggling because we'd already spent four or five hours in the back of a minibus. Uh, so I'm opening with Roddy Smith, and Appleby's there, and I can't remember who the pro was. And then I start see, thinking that my left foot is, I, I can't get any purchase on my left foot. And then I'm thinking, I can't get any purchase on my right foot, right? And what the guys had done was they'd put shampoo in both of my shoes. And so after about 10 minutes, you're just like a skating rink. So you can't actually. So I looked around to them. I remember, and they were all absolutely pissing themselves. Yeah, I thought, Mike, Mike Smith wouldn't have had anything to do with that, would he? Not at all. Him, Mike Gore, and Roddy Smith. Oh, three of them. The three yeah. amigos. Absolutely yeah. shocker. Shocker. Um, so I... The Scotland side. So, did you have to bide your time then? I guess, and and yeah, because you you came yeah, along a little bit later. Yeah, very much. So I didn't play. I think till I was about twenty seven, twenty eight, yep. maybe. Because you, yep. you you were always uh, at that time. So when I was really young, it was kind of. Uh, uh, Willie Morton uh, and, and guys like that, and even sort of George Goddard and Ewan McIntyre and, and, and yep. people like that were, were still around. And then, uh, and, and then as I got a little bit older, it was uh, obviously with Willie Morton, but then Ian Bevan played for a while. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I, I ended up competing against really Keith Sheridan, Jimmy Govan, uh, latterly Gregor Maiden, and guys like guys like that for a yep. for a spot in the team. So I, so I didn't really play until. International debut would have been ninety, oh god, ninety three, ninety four, maybe something like that. I played my, my first cap was in Holland. Roddy Smith uh, got his first cap on the same day. I remember that. So I think it was ninety four right. before I played. Yeah, 
yeah. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, they were, but in, interesting times because it was a, it, you know, playing for Scotland at that time was, it was quite an interesting experience because it was just that kind of change where I think we just, we were just joining the ICC and so instead of it just being like Benson and Hedges and, uh, and you know, a couple of sort of jazz hat games against the MCC, things were just starting to mm -hmm. change and see that, that we'd be playing in World Cup qualifiers and stuff. And I was, you know, I was lucky enough to go to Malaysia in 97 for the ICC trophy where we qualified for the 99 World Cup. I hardly played a game. I think I only played two games on tour, Bev and Keith Sheridan, who at that time rightly were, were more consistent than I was. So, so I, I was almost there as the kind of wild card uh, social convener. So, uh, but that was, uh, yeah, that was a good trip to Malaysia in 97. So that was our first real sort of tournament experience. But that, yeah, that was a great trip, that one. So John Taylor was mentioning, you were talking yourself and you alluded to it earlier about you, sometimes you're a bit of a slow starter. Um, and John Taylor, we mentioned, I don't know if you've had a look at last week's podcast, so he said sometimes you were on the money and it was an absolute nightmare and you knew from ball one that that was going to be a struggle. But then sometimes ball one would be a half tracker and John Taylor would say, well, yes. I'll just absolutely melt that. He hit you for four or six. And then he walked down the track and said, right, Kenneth, what else have you got? And then... Yeah, well, that sounds like Tails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, bizarrely, Tails was a, was a real good opening batter. And he was, he was ahead of his time. You know, he would have loved to have been playing now with T20 and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. He, he was an opening batter and, and a proper batter. I mean, he, would, he wouldn't think twice about, you know, hitting the first ball over long off for, for six. Uh -huh. but playing proper cricket shots. He wasn't a, wasn't a slogger. Real, no. real power player uh, who, who, yeah, was... Was there 20 years too early, but but yeah, he, he was. He, he, that was probably an accurate reflection. That sometimes, when when I didn't when I didn't start well, it made th it made things quite tricky. But other times, when I when I was on my day, I felt, and I'll be honest, I felt I could get anyone in the world out when I was, when I when I was when I was on the money. I just I probably just wasn't consistent enough to be, which is probably why I, I got 20 caps and Keith Sheridan got 90. Yeah, um, yeah. So when he, the skip was more consistent than I was. So when the skipper threw you the ball, did you know just before he threw you the ball whether or not you were going to have a good day or a bad day, or was it from when no. you were running in? But how, no, how did you no, deal I with did, that mentally? Yeah, it, it it was a real mental mental battle, and I, I think I think a lot of young a lot of young players wrestle with it, and especially especially bowlers. Uh, so I, I spin bowlers uh, who who do struggle with that a bit. So it, it was always. A, just just really managing nerves and what what you tended to find was i think cold days were were always really yeah. difficult to keep uh -huh. standing around and uh, and and especially when you know we grant uh, grant stanley and alan lapleby used to open the bowling for us so quite often i'd be standing around for quite a long time because you could bowl as many overs as you liked in those days so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you might not bowl one week and then the next week you're in the 38th over you get thrown the ball and you've just been standing around for for a couple of hours, so so it, it sometimes made it more challenging. But I could usually tell very very early in the spell whether it was going to be whether it was going to be a good day or not. And sometimes you just had to battle through it. Uh -huh. uh, but I think that that was my probably my my recollection that uh, you know I just I just I was talented but not as consistent as some of the some of the guys who who played a bit more than me. But on on my day, I always felt as if I could get I could get anyone out. You mentioned earlier that the 90s and the sort of late 80s, early 90s was it was a hotbed, uh, certainly in in the West, um, of of really good, talented cricketers in in Scotland. So the top three batters that you know, amateurs, and then we're going to talk about pros, but top three amateurs that you would have bowled against back in the day. 
Yeah, so if I go if I go up north first, probably Mike Smith's the most talented batter I bowled to. I, mm. I actually did I did okay against him uh, because he he couldn't really be bothered with spin. Really, he just wanted to he just wanted to to boss the game. So, but Mike uh-huh. Smith from Argentina is probably uh, you know a su- super talented batter. He just had so much. My thoughts on that was that he had so much time. I mean, I remember I played a B game with him, um, and I think he put the ball over. I mean, admittedly, we were quite close to the uh, at Old Trafford to the pavilion, but he he put the ball over the pavilion, and and they'd never actually seen anybody do that in Lancashire, and and they'd asked him down for a trial, etc. But he he was he was so hot or cold, he really was. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so he he was, uh, you know, probably the, the, the most talented guy I remember playing with. I think in cl- in club cricket again, we played a lot against the Grange and Steve Crawley. Uh, yep, creepy. Was a re- really good player of spin as well. Uh, yep. So, so I think I think he he was a real a real competitor. And then if I think about probably the guys closer to home, I played with Drew Parsons and our uh, who, who played who played with us early two thousands again. You know, super, super talented guy uh, who 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 could you know one day would be absolutely you know could score a blazing hundred and and the, and the next week look as if he didn't know which which way to hold the bat. But he he was he was a great you know a great ball striker. So I think he again he would be he would be up there in the in the sort of talent scale. But you, the, the number of pros I think that you know when you look back and think of some of the pros that you bowled against and think, geez, these guys could put Corey Richards being a yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Ayer, who were obviously our, our local rivals, had a had a real a real churn of, of high quality guys from New South Wales. You know, your Graham Rummins is Kevin Kevin Roberts, who I guess is, is in the news this week for losing his job as Cricket Australia CEO, was 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 a great player as well. Corey Richards, Richard Chiqui, you know, a, a real a real conveyor belt of guys who Yeah, they had some stars, didn't they? Quality players and, and obviously you know, we we all remember the some of the pros that we played against growing up, uh, growing up with, you know, your Sajid Ali's and guys like that, who, who on his day could just make anybody look silly. I mean, he was just fearsome. I mean, yeah. just uh, doesn't matter if he was on his day. Some of the yeah. shots he would play. I mean, you would blink and he was on eighty. It was just frightening. Yeah. He was certainly the most destructive. I think you know you can probably all we played against Gordon Greenwich and 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 you know Desmond Haynes and some other guys. So so lucky to play against against these guys. But when I think about Sajid Ali, you know year in year out the number of runs that he he churned out and he could he could he could make you look silly. And also I think as well being a you know coming from the Asian subcontinent, he played spin extremely well. Yeah, yeah. He, there, there weren't many guys who. Uh, you know, could move their feet and hit you straight into the tennis courts, and then and then the next ball would just sweep you for six over square leg, and you think, right, okay, so so what do I do now? <laughs> I think he just hit, hit you to places that you you hadn't been hit before. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He was pretty special. Good, 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 good. Listen, I don't want. I know we've had five goes at this, um, no, yeah. so I don't <laughs> want good. to keep you. Don't want to keep you for too the long. The fifth one is, is the most productive. Well, indeed, indeed. Um, I wanted to take you back just to that Scottish Cup final. Um, hopefully, if that's not too and and I hadn't appreciated until again I'd looked at the scorecard. But you were in at the end when the, yeah. the you know the, the 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 issues that arose. I mean. Obviously, I played in that game, and my recollection was I thought obviously Steve Crawley batted superbly for his hundred. Uh, we posted two twelve, I think, 
and you guys just went off like trains. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think we were, I think we were a hundred for no wicket. I think off uh -huh. something. Yeah, going at five. Yeah, do, do, doing it pretty comfortably. Uh, Zulfi Shahid, I think, and Gavin yep. Richmond. Yeah. Both runs at the top, and then uh, as as we would traditionally do, started to make things hard for ourselves, and then it ended up just a real. A real tight game, I think, and yeah, I was in at the end. I think we maybe needed nine off, nine or ten off the last over, something like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, And obviously, I, I remember ended up one short, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing, my abiding memory of that game was the way that you played Ian Bevan, because Ian Bevan was always our. You know, I only played there for a season, but Ian Bevan had the hex on so many batsmen, yeah. even at that age. I mean, he must have been in, you know. 40 plus at that stage yeah. and, and his hips were knackered um, yeah. and he was poor in the field but geez he could still bowl uh, yeah. and very rarely very rarely did he go for much more than two you know it was unheard of to go for three and over and then suddenly because we needed him because you'd gone at that you were 100 for no wicket we really needed him to show up in that game um, and when he started getting whacked, you think, shit, two twelve is just not going to be, it's not going to be enough. Yeah. Um, and then we we managed to claw it back, and nine. And I remember fielding. I think I was at backward point, and I remember thinking you needed was it three off the last ball? Three off the last ball, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I just thought to myself, don't hit it to me. Please, God, don't hit it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, the other eight fielders were all thinking the same that's thing. That's right, that's right. And then Nick Pete, it gets hit to Nick Pete. Yeah. Um, and were you batting or were you at the non-strikers end? Yeah, I was at, yeah, I was at non-strikers end, I think. Uh, so Javid Ashraf, who, who again, you know, great, great off spinner, who, I, who I, I loved bowling in tandem with. So myself and Javid were in, and Javid hit, I think, a low... Low full toss from Ian Bevan through kind of extra cover, and yep. we needed three, and it was looking it was looking unlikely. So so we made one, and uh, then I come back to the non-strikers end for the second, and you Gavin made swears, it. Swears he made his ground. I think the ball did the ball hit the stumps. Yes, broke 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 the stumps and then ricocheted away, and we then completed the third. Uh, now Javid swore that he touched down for the second run. Ball ball broke the stumps, and we then completed the third. But Bill Smith. Had a different view to that at square <laughs> and decided that Javid hadn't made his ground uh, and that he was out trying and to run out. So, so technically, we lost by one run, I think, when oh. we thought we'd maybe won it. But that's uh, it was uh, it was absolutely heartbreaking because I remember looking and I, I was looking at the photographs before I came on, um, and and Hag's face was just it was to lose it in that way. And and there, there wasn't that great uh, uh, euphoria within the Grange dressing room because we were all absolutely shattered. Yeah. Um, yeah. After yeah, the whole I mean, experience. I yeah, I think the one thing for me and my, my recollection is obviously we were disappointed we didn't win it, and the clubs actually never won the Scottish Cup, which makes it, which makes it slightly more galling. But it, it was just a wonderful game of cricket. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it was it was it was just a really high quality cricket match that you were proud to have played in of sure if we got over the line it would have made it 10 times sweeter but that's, yeah you know that's the ball game isn't it just uh... and what I'd also forgotten was that Gordon Webster who was skippered the side yeah. um throughout the whole of the season he didn't play that game I can't remember was did, did, did he fall any sword I wonder because Gordon Webster and he'll say himself 
you know, he's a bits and pieces cricketer. He doesn't bowl, bats a bit, but a great captain. Um, yeah. And he didn't play in the final. And I, I couldn't remember whether or not he was, he, he was called away or whether or not he just decided, you know what, there are a better 11 to go out and try and win that. Yeah, I don't know. I thought he had played in the final. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, I, I looked at the scorecard and it was held. It was the there. first. Yeah, no, he wasn't there. The first game was kept was postponed because of weather, and then we came back in the in the second week. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right. It was an absolute. Yeah, maybe he didn't make the second week. It could have could have been a work work related thing. I think we, we, you never knew Webby because he's he's uh, one of great guy. One of the, you know one of the brightest guys you could ever play with but common sense wasn't as uh no as <laughs> right there you're would, right there like when captain presswick you would you'd forget the match ball on a regular basis and just uh, <laughs> or his boots or his cricket bag or whatever but yeah all bright no common sense absolutely i think he's in the street he's still over in australia i think perth was where yeah, he is yeah, i think he lives in perth now yeah yeah so, good yeah, good, no, good 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 um, and then just finally, just going to quickly touch on the hockey side of things. Uh, your role there, uh, uh, so that, that was an, an interesting decision. Was that something that you thought that you would end up doing or just did, the, 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 yeah, did it happen so, at the right time for you? Yeah, it was, it, it was, a, it was a funny one because I, I think uh, I'd, I'd been at Cricket Scotland a long time and I, I felt, uh, you know, Things were going really well, to be honest. We brought Grant Bradburn in uh, as head coach in 2014, I think, and Grant was was an outstanding coach. And, yeah. and I think the team the team were really moving in the right direction. And a lot of the players that that I suppose I'd I'd been coaching previously in the sort of A team had had started to come through. You know, your Richie Barringtons and these guys were were all through and playing. And and I guess just the t the timing was interesting because I, I'll be honest, myself and the chief executive at the time, Malcolm, probably didn't really connect that well. Uh, and I'd been there a long time and, and the opportunity came up in hockey and I just thought, you know, if I want to keep myself fresh, uh, then I probably just need to chat. I need, just need to challenge myself somewhere different. And yeah. came along and it was based in Glasgow instead of Edinburgh. So obviously the commute from Presswick to Edinburgh had become... You know, I'd been doing it for 12 years and, mm. and, and probably I probably just needed a freshen up. So, uh, so yeah, I, look, I, I, I miss working in cricket on a daily basis. I, I still really enjoy my coaching, especially yeah. my spin coaching, but obviously the Warriors head coach as well. So, so I'm actually probably coaching now more than I was latterly uh, yeah. with, with, with Cricket Scotland. But the, the hockey role has been great because it's given, it's given me different challenges. It's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a difference, but it's a sport with massive potential in Scotland. Huge. You know, the, num the yeah. number of people that are playing, when you look at, you know, so many cricket and hockey clubs are linked, but when you look at the number of players playing hockey, you know, if you look at Clydesdale with, you know, nine, ten hockey teams playing on a weekend, and George Watson's College can put out 30 hockey teams on a Saturday morning, you know, so it's, you know, the, the numbers are really big. I think where, where hockey struggled at the very top level is just the, the lack of commercial traction. So I think cricket, mm -hmm. obviously... At the very top of the sport, there's a lot of money filters into the game, and that filters down through. So, uh, you know, so cr cricket Scotland, the money they get from ICC is probably just about Scottish hockey's turnover for the year. You know, so so it, it's it's certainly a, an amateur sport trying to be the best it can be. But in terms of some great people working in hockey, uh, mm. you know, some great coaches, uh, lots of talented players. You know, the the the, the talent. Uh, 
the talent coming through the hockey system is really exciting and I'm really hopeful that we can push players into GB teams and, and have a successful spell for the, you know, the Scotland teams have done relatively well over the last few years. So, so yeah, it's, 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 it's been a great, uh, great experience for me, great learning curve in a different sport. Uh, but yeah, I've I've I've, en- I've enjoyed it, uh, but been challenged by it as well. So mm. that's been a good. Good, and the COVID. Just finally, I wanted to chat to you about the COVID uh, situation, um, mainly as far as hockey is concerned. What, can you see that? When can you see that coming back as far as a team sport? Yeah, it's. Di- I mean, it's difficult. I think. I think we'll be training fairly soon. Yeah. So, and, and I think you know the, the, the likes of you know cricket as well. It's a it's a sport that you can train with some reasonable social distancing. So I think training is going to happen pretty quickly. Uh, when when we get back to playing hockey, just because of the nature of it as an invasion sport, I think it's going to be tricky. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I think September, October is probably more realistic than the, than before that. I, I, I obviously hope we get some cricket this year. You know, if, yeah. we, can, if we can get some T20 stuff. You know, if we, even if we can get a six or seven week season in August, September, play you know ten, fifteen, T twenty games. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that would be that would be a real result given given where we've been. So mm-hmm. so yeah, I hope we get I hope we get some cricket in August and September, and and I hope we get the hockey season off and running late September, early October. Uh, Good. Yes, which I'm sure your your daughter still she she. Oh, the pair of them, yeah, the the pair of them are uh, are just mad, mad keen on the hockey. And um, Amy's back from Spain. Um, I think she's probably going to go back out there. I think they're talking yeah. about lifting restrictions. She's going up to Aberdeen uh, to do some uni up there come September. Um, and the wee ones, just it's been great because they both play at, at uh, play at GHK. Um, yeah. And the amount of, of interaction there has been where there's not been any hockey has been wonderful. It's, yeah, it's been no, really, really encouraging. Hockey's done that really well. You know, I have to give credit to, uh, to our sort of domestic game team within Scottish hockey who, who've really engaged with the clubs while, mm-hmm. while the, the shutdown's been on. I know our performance coaches have been, you know, been running Zoom this, Zoom that, psychology yeah. sessions. So there's, there, there's been a, a huge amount of interaction. So our coaches have filled the void and activity with lots of good stuff. So I, I, I think I think the sport has has handled that has handled that really nicely. Uh, so so yeah, it's a it's a it's a great sport to be involved in, especially especially for young players just now. So yeah, just tell them to hang in there, and we'll we'll get some hockey in GHK again. A, a good club giving young players exposure. You know, they 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 obviously struggle struggle a bit in the in the in the Premiership against the big guns, but yeah, you know, yeah. a pile of teenagers playing, haven't they? And and uh, Suze Williamson and. Uh, uh, Susan McGilvery coaching, but yeah. you know, giving these young girls an opportunity to play at that level again probably sort of harks back to me remembering being given being given opportunities to play at a decent level when you're really young can stand yeah. you in good stead if you, if yeah. you get the right the right culture within the club. So, so yeah, hopefully it could be an exciting start for GHK if they can just I, uh, hold I, on to their hold on to their players. And that's that's the problem because as they're 16, 17, they leave. And they go to uni, trying to actually keep hold of them, I think, is the hardest thing to do. Um, and if they can keep hold of them uh, and then inspire them that if they all stay together, then, you know, we could potentially move forward and, and, and compete. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's one of the, th- you know, things for me as well as, as, as head of performance. When, when I look at our domestic structure, I think it's important that we try and 
we try and keep that as broad as possible because I think this perception that you have to go and play for one or two or three of the biggest clubs to be seen mm -hmm. is, is one that we want to get past because I, I would love to see another couple of clubs coming in and challenging. And I think I think the women's premierships at quite an exciting period, you know, when you've got you, you've got Wildcats, you've got Uni, you've got Clydesdale, yeah. you've got Wanderers. Yeah. You got you got GHK with a really young team. It'd be, it'd be lovely to see another couple of clubs to you push into that and really create uh -huh. a five or six team battle uh -huh. rather than the, the same old the same old faces at the at the top of the table. So so I really hope that GHK do manage to do manage to push through that because it just mm. takes a couple of years to hold on to those girls and then they can yeah. they can be challenging at the top of the table and not be worrying about being relegated but thinking about making the playoffs you know so because what will happen is if they're able to do that and i suppose this is also true in cricket is that it then prevents people getting tapped up because there's, there's certainly lots of clubs out there who are just tapping up our, our players left right and center with the lure of you know come and play at this team because we've got six internationals playing etc cetera, etc cetera. and yeah. you know the, yeah. you're 16 17 starry eyed you think gosh I'll yeah. go and go and play with them. So yeah, anyway. that, that's always needs to be greener. But yeah. uh, hope, yeah. hopefully, hopefully they'll manage to push through that. Good, 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 good. Listen, I shall walk you to the exit. There is a little phrase that we use. Myself and Chris normally use it. Sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Always certain. Okay. So I'll say sometimes right. You've then got to say sometimes wrong, and then we'll both say always certain. All right. Yeah. Dead easy. What can go wrong? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Out of the shoe. Sometimes right. Sometimes wrong. Always. Always certain. Always certain. Great stuff. Listen, thanks very much. Slings and arrows. It's been fantastic. I'll get this off. Good speech. Cheers, buddy. Cheers.